Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today we're going to take a look at a really neat song. And I think it's wonderful to look at the Christian lyrics of these songs, especially worship and praise songs. So today is episode 25 of this lovely podcast. And the song we're going to take a look at is All Hail the Power of Jesus Name. But first of all, I want to give a big shout out to my listeners. So let me go to my list because you guys are amazing. You are wonderful. I love to see you online here. Truly makes us feel united in Christ Jesus and I love that. So a big shout out to Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, West Virginia, Ohio, Virginia, Nevada, California, Oklahoma and Texas. So you guys are great. So let me go ahead and read these lyrics to you. I was going to sing them. But when I did a previous recording, my voice didn't sound up to par. And number one, um, I, I recognize that my voice is a little weak compared to what it used to be because I've had pleurisy twice. I should say this: I survived pleurisy twice, and God healed me twice of pleurisy. So I'm alive. I'm well. I'm doing great. I just need to practice my vocal cords and my my octaves and my ranges. So I thought, you know, I really don't want to sing just yet on a podcast. So, but you know, just so you know, God loves your voice regardless of who you are, what you sound like. He loves you because it's all worship and praise. And also here in Oklahoma, we have had a cold snap yet again in the weather. So whenever it gets dry, it makes it very parching for the throat. But anyway, let's go ahead and take a look at these lyrics. So again, it's all hell the power of Jesus name. So I'm going to read uh the first stanza to you. All hail the power of Jesus name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all. So, I'm just going to I'm going to go line by line like I usually do, like if we were uh reading from the Bible and reading from verses. So it says all hail the power of Jesus name. The name of Jesus is above every name. So regardless regardless of what you're going through, let me get a drink real quick. Regardless of what you're going through, whether it's good, bad, ugly, frightening, happy, whatever the case may be, but especially when we are in situations that we don't like, where we're uncomfortable or things are unfortunate, the name of Jesus can help you regardless of what is happening. So if you're scared, call on the name of Jesus. If you're angry, call on the name of Jesus. If you need help with anything, call on the name of Jesus. That's what he's there for. His name is the most powerful name on the face of this earth, on the face of this planet, in our entire galaxy, in our entire solar system. His name is above all names. So Jesus, his name is so powerful, it raised the dead. That's how powerful it is. When when he rose from the dead, other people were raised from the dead. some of the saints that had fallen asleep meaning they had passed away like from years and years and years ago before uh, Jesus died on the cross was crucified on the cross his name is so powerful he raised the dead his name is so powerful he healed a leper his name is so powerful he healed a woman of a of a I guess you would call it kind of a, a blood hemorrhaging problem he healed uh, people that were possessed by spirits you know demonic spirits He rebuked them and they left. Like his name is so powerful, it's it's mightier than a hurricane. 
It's stronger and more powerful than a tornado. It it has more energy than a fire. That's how powerful his name is. So that's why it says all hail the power of Jesus name because there was power in his name. Now our names are not Jesus by any means. You know, I remember when I first saw one's a guy's name it said Jesus and I was like who are you to call yourself Jesus? I didn't know it was called Jesus. Like from a Hispanic culture. But here's the thing regardless of what our name is, it's not the name of Jesus, but we have the Holy Spirit in us and so that unites us with Jesus. So whenever we are going through trials and tribulations and hardships, you know like for example, my name is Leslie. I have this podcast and you my listeners, my lovely listeners, you're listening in, right? If you're to be in a really tough situation and you were to cry Leslie, that name would do nothing for you. Absolutely nothing because my name is not powerful like that. My name is not the one that raises people from the dead, heals them and cures them. But if you name if you yell the name Jesus when you are, you know, let's say you're in a car wreck and you yell the name Jesus right before someone hits you. You know, something like that. That name is all powerful. And I mention this because just because our name doesn't have power, that doesn't mean that we are nameless. Because when we are believers in Christ Jesus, we are brought into the family of Christ. And Jesus gives his gives us his name. That's why we are able to worship him, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. His name is so powerful that we are united in his family when we are believers in Christ Jesus. So he gives us his name as a way to be well, to be healed, cast out demons, um cast out any kind of spirit whether it's a demon or not, but also to lay hands on people. to help heal them. You know, they can be healed from your know, mental distress, things of that nature. But it's the name of Jesus that frees us. And he he basically, I really love what this one pastor told me. She told me that when we unite ourselves in Christ Jesus and we believe in him, we are adopted into his family and his name becomes our resume. Because I went to her for guidance in terms of kind of like a job situation and things like that cuz I was uncertain about something and she said that what I really love what she said was that his resume Jesus's resume becomes our resume because we are united in him so we don't need to be fearful about anything really because Jesus conquered everything he conquered death that's how powerful his name is so even though my name is Leslie and you know let's say your name is David or Matthew or let's say your name is Jesus you know let's say you're you're Hispanic and your name is Jesus or let's say you know you're 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 Muslim and your and your name is Muhammad it it doesn't matter that your name doesn't it doesn't have that punch to it, it doesn't have anything behind it per se just on its own but when we believe in Christ Jesus We have the power of almighty God behind us and in us. 
So then our name is grafted into Christ, if that makes sense. Like we're not changing our name to say Jesus Christ on our birth certificate or anything like that. But when we are grafted into the family of God, we, we are given the wonderful opportunity to worship God, to praise him. And then God gives us his son as his advocate, as our advocate, actually, to defend us and to protect us and to intercede for us. That is a mighty, powerful name. So even though our name does not pack a punch behind it, our Savior can pack a punch behind us because he's in our corner. It's almost like when we're in a, in a what's it called, a, a boxing match, because I love to watch boxing, not cage fighting, because that, that's way too extreme. And I think it's very hurtful. It's too dangerous. But you know, let's say we're having a good old-fashioned boxing match. You know, let's say you have a, just a horrible wicked evil opponent in the other corner and you're you're small you don't have as many muscles as the other guy you're not as well trained and you know you know let's be honest you're scared of your point of your opponent well when when you are a believer in Christ Jesus Jesus is in your corner he's got your back That's how powerful he is. That's how powerful the name of Jesus is. He has your back. So regardless of what fight you are in, you're going to win. Even when you think you're losing, you're not. That is the power of Jesus' name. So when we invite God and we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life and to come into our heart, immediately you are born again. You are born again, you're made new, your sins have been forgiven, and Jesus is in your court. He is in your corner. He's your advocate. He's your he's your attorney. He's your comforter, your comforter, your savior. He's your lord, your provider, your your wonderful counselor. And I don't mean like a counselor in terms of like mental health, but he can be, but when we talk about a counselor, That's someone that basically consoles you in any type of situation. So it's not just mental health. It can be financial ruin. You know, let's say, for example, you're having to file bankruptcy. Jesus can handle that. He can save your business. He can save your house. He can keep the creditors off your front porch. He can stop them from harassing you. That's how powerful Jesus is. That's how powerful his name is. And that's one reason why I love this song is that it really displays the authority of Jesus's name. And when we are believers in Christ Jesus, we have the authority to be ambassadors of Christ Jesus. So it's almost like it's not like it actually is true. When we become believers in Christ Jesus and we make him the Lord of our life, we instantly are born again, our sins are forgiven. He calls us his own. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Our sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb, and immediately our name is united with his name because he gives us his resume, so to speak. And we know that because when also we get baptized, we also receive the 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 spirits or the not the spirits, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit. and it's it's in that manner that we can help other Christians as well. We we can help them overcome different things in their life. Why? Because we are believers in Christ Jesus. And what a wonderful 
honor that is. So, I mean, just think about ambassadors from other countries. Like they they are known in their government for being ambassadors and their government backs them up if ever they get into trouble. Like let's say for example, let's say I'm I am an ambassador for the United States. I'm making this up because I'm not. But let's say I am an ambassador of the United States and I go to Mexico and drug cartels kidnap me and hold me for ransom. Well, what the what the government of the United States would do is negotiate with them and or attack those drug cartels and get me out of there safely. It's the same way with our Lord Jesus Christ. When we become ambassadors of Christ, he's in our court, he guards us and protects us, and even if we get in a bad situation, he is going to go after the people that are harming us, hurting us or bothering us. Except he will always be successful. And here's the thing, God doesn't negotiate with evil people. He shows them up and he shows you out basically. What what I mean by that is that he makes it very clear to your enemy. Because remember that your enemy is also an enemy of Christ because when someone is targeting you and being mean and cruel to you, whatever they do to you, technically they are doing that to Christ Jesus when you are a believer in Christ Jesus. And God takes note of that. He takes note of who harms and hurts his children and is mean to them. And he takes it very seriously. So In this particular example, when someone messes with you and you are an ambassador of Christ Jesus, the Lord is going to deal swiftly, very swiftly with your enemy. And it's up to God what he wants to do with them, but just know that the reason why he is taking care of that enemy is because he loves you. And he will, I don't know if necessarily the right word is reproach them or basically correct them is probably a better word. I'm trying to be more precise here. But the thing is is that when you are an ambassador of Christ Jesus, you have his name on you. It's it's like a passport or a certificate or a driver's license, something saying that you have the authority of Jesus Christ in you when you are a believer in Christ Jesus. And that packs quite a powerful punch. I think sometimes as Christian Christians we shy away from tackling issues in our culture and in our society and in our countries because we think Christians are supposed to be wishy-washy, they're supposed to be meek and mellow and calm. No, the apostles were not like that at all. Jesus was not like that at all. The early Christians were not like that at all. And if you think about the early Christians had the evil, wicked Roman government to deal with. For those of you who don't know much about Greco-Roman times, the early Christians, a lot of them were martyred, which means they were persecuted and murdered for the faith. That's what a martyr means. And so what's really interesting is that you know, they they were very much ambassadors of Christ and they had to deal with a very evil, wicked, tyrannical government which was the Roman Empire. Like they they would crucify Christians, they would torture them, mutilate them. set them on fire feed them to wild animals i mean they just did horrible wicked things to them so it was not easy to be christian back then like i think it was way more difficult then than it is now but i think being a christian today i think is difficult as well because we're dealing with apathy in our society meaning we're not really taking a stand for something we're just kind of eh passive about a lot of things eh it doesn't really bother me i don't want to get involved 
Well, that's not the Christian way of life. It's not. Christians are supposed to stand firm regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens. I mean, just think about ever since Jesus was born on this earth and then when he ascended to heaven, just think about all the Christians that have been born and ha- and have died. And how many of them have witnessed to the faith of Christ Jesus? I mean, I look at it this way. I've I've gone through a lot of hardships. I have suffered in so many ways. But what it really taught me, and I'm I'm not saying that God did any of that to me because he did not. Anything that's bad and evil comes from the devil. It comes straight out of the depths of hell. Make no mistake about that. It's it's horrible. But what I learned through my hardship is that, you know, if I'm going to suffer, I'd rather suffer with the mindset that God loves me. He's taking care of everything. Then the suffering doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't mean I tolerate it or accept it. It means I endure it. I endure it to the end. So that I can have a new beginning as many times as it takes. Like for example, when I had pleurisy the first time, I went to the emergency room. I literally thought I was dying and I possibly was. I literally thought I was having a heart attack. And when I got to the emergency room, they immediately noticed I was having low oxygen. There were things going on with my heart, my lungs, um the 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 rate of oxygen exchange within my red blood cells which takes place in the lungs. So they knew something was going on in my lungs as well. So they hooked me up to all these machines, one was for the heart, one was for the lungs to monitor things, and they also gave me oxygen. And so then it was discovered that I have pleurisy, which in case you don't know, pleurisy is a viral infection in the lining of the lungs. It is excruciatingly painful. It feels like you're being stabbed in the chest repeatedly. It also feels like you're being punched in the chest. It feels like you have broken all your ribs and you cannot fully inhale or exhale because your lungs are inflamed. They're puffed up because the lining of the lungs, which is the pleura, that's where they get the word pleurisy. It's inflamed, so your lungs are trying to um, inflate and deflate, inflate and deflate. You're just like normal, but they can't at the proper rate because the the lining is so inflamed that the the lining of your lungs is touching together. So it's almost like my lungs were collapsing. So it's in that moment that I knew I was a child of God. Now, mind you, I was a different faith at that time in terms of denominations. and my faith was really weak because of the church I was attending. And so I have since left that church, but um my point is this is that when you are in that kind of pain, you are very well aware that you could die. And I probably was dying. I have no doubt that I I easily could have died right there. I wasn't on an operating table, but I mean it was it was a pretty big table because they had me in a heart room. with all these monitors. And I was in my 20s, so they were really concerned that something really extreme is happening to a 20-something-year-old because it's not normal for a 20-something-year-old to have these kind of heart problems and lung issues. But that's what infections do, especially really aggressive infections. They they can affect anyone, even the young and the healthy. But my point is this is that I wish I had known back then the power of Jesus's name. I did not know the power of Jesus's name. I mean, believe me, I was praying. But I pray differently now than I did back then. Now I know for a fact Jesus can heal me, and I've seen him heal me even when I wasn't sure what was going to happen because I was just living in the fear, right? 
I was thinking I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. God save me. God save me. Jesus help me. Jesus help me. Like I was thinking everything in the book of of trying to survive. Like it was so painful I couldn't hardly talk. Like I wanted to scream. But again, I couldn't full I could not fully inhale or exhale because of the excruciating pain. Well, see, here's the thing. Even though my faith was not where it needed to be in terms of being a strong, devout Christian and understanding the love of God, and that that he heals people every day miracles do happen and that's a wonderful thing even though i didn't really believe in miracles per se and i i didn't really think they applied to me i don't know why but that's just what i was taught what i was raised in which was absolutely stupid to think that way but if that's all you know that's all you know but even though i was trained wrong taught wrong believed wrong god saw me still still as his child and as one of his daughters in his holy family and even though I didn't really know how to believe in him the way that I do now. He still saved me from death. He has saved me from death so many times. Well, that's the power of Jesus's name. Even though I didn't really know or understand all of the power that's behind Jesus's name and what all is included in that covenant with us, God saved me. He healed me. And he got me through that burden. He got me through that hardship. I didn't give up. I didn't want to die. Things were just happening so fast. Like I was at work, and I almost collapsed at work. Like I had to grab onto a counter. I almost fell on the floor. Like I almost hit my face on a glass display as I was going down. So I went to go see my manager. I managed to get to her office, and I was clutching my chest, and they could tell something was wrong. I said, "I I think I'm having a heart attack. I'm, something's going on with my chest. I can't hardly breathe." I was like, "I'm going to the hospital. It's just right up the street. I don't want an ambulance because I did not have good health insurance at that time. So I didn't want the cost of a medical bill like that greatly raised my blood pressure. Just thinking about that, which was stupid, but that's how Americans think sometimes with stuff like this." And plus I knew the hospital was just up the street. So I knew that I could speed. I knew I had a good engine in my car. I could just speed up there and if a cop was going to pull me over, he can pull me over in the parking lot at the hospital and be like, "Hey, sorry, I I've got to deal with this right now." Bye. But I did not get pulled over. I raced to the emergency room. And as I said, you know, they took it very seriously about what was going on. I just wish I had had stronger faith back then, but sometimes, you know, it's one of those things Sometimes you don't realize your faith isn't where it needs to be until you go through something like that. It's like you think you're practicing the right religion, you think you're practicing the right way, you 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 think you know enough to get through, but I can tell you what, I was so ignorant. I was scared, I was terrified, and as a Christian, we're not ever supposed to be fearful or terrified. That doesn't mean we won't ever feel it per se, but we're not supposed to let it continue. You know what I mean? Like we're not supposed to give in to that temptation of of feeling fear and doubt. All I all I had to say was Jesus. And all of it would have stopped. Like there there's a difference. Like when you know the power of Jesus's name, you have that confidence that you're provided for, you are healed and you're taken care of. That's my point with that. His name is so powerful. So then the next sentence says let angels prostrate fall. Angels love Jesus and they worship him. Even angels worship him. So if angels are worshiping him, we should be worshiping him. You know, we're not worshiping mother earth. We're not worshiping science and I love science, and I love nature. They're gifts from God, but 
we shouldn't be putting those things ahead of Jesus because that's a form of idolatry. And it's actually a form of heresy as well. And I look at it this way. Why would I want to worship something that can't save me when I can actually worship the one true God and he can save me from anything and everything? Like I love nature, I love, you know, our our national parks. I love waterfall waterfalls, I love hiking, I love all those things, but I know that nature did not create me. And if I call out mother nature, you know, if I'm scared or terrified or if I need a healing, I know mother nature can't heal me in that moment. Like it it would make no sense. And let's say for example, you know, I get hurt. Let's say I'm on a on a trail and I get hurt. You know, I'm not going to call on the name of science. I'm not going to say science help me. No, I'm going to call Jesus. I'm going to say Jesus. Jesus help me. My Lord, my God, help me. I will call on the name of the Lord. Science is a wonderful thing. I love science. I love modern medicine. It's great. It heals people. It it eradicates disease. That's great. That is a gift from God, but science is not our God. And neither is nature. And I'll give an example of this. I was attending a church several years ago and they had a song. It sounded like it was written from the 60s. It was very hippy, hippy dippy, very new age. I was like, this is pagan. And um they were singing it in a Christian church and it talked about Mother Earth and um we'll dance in the forest, we'll sing in the hills. And it's just like, oh, was this written at Woodstock? Like it was so horrible. I was like, I can't believe we're singing this. before God. Like we we like the song did not even talk about Jesus or God very much at all. It was just mother earth this, the wind, the sea, the air, like just all us like who do you think made all that? The Lord made all that. Our heavenly Father made all that. So why are we honoring and worshiping something that did not create us but technically was created for us? Like we are supposed to have dominion over the earth. the earth does not have dominion over us so when you are worshiping anything that is mother nature oriented or like spiritual kind of stuff like new age kind of stuff you are degrading yourself and your soul because you're making yourself subservient to something that was actually created to serve you to help you live out your life in a wonderful blessed way Like you don't worship the ground. You don't worship grass or the earth or the dirt. The grass, the earth and the dirt was given to mankind so that we could have produce, so we could have food. It's subservient to us. We are not subservient to it. And the dirt and the earth and the grass and the wind, it can't do anything to heal us or to help us like that. That comes from our heavenly Father. So needless to say I complain about that song and the pastor could care less. I just thought, you know, that's a big sign. If your pastor is okay with pagan like songs being sung at a Christian church. Because any kind of song that it, it, look, it can sound all happy and everything, but really think about the words. Like really be careful what comes out of your mouth because Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And what that song reminded me of was the Old Testament where there's I think it's in Kings and Numbers, I think if I remember correctly, one of those books in the Old Testament. 
it talks about a lot of the rulers uh, of the Old Testament, a lot of these kings. It would tell you straight up whether or not they walked in the way of the Lord or if they did not walk in the way of the Lord. And what I noticed when I was reading this was that whenever they did not walk in the way of the Lord, it was typically because they were worshiping other things. They may have meant well. Some of them did not mean well, but some of them may have meant well. But they were practicing idolatry. So for example, in God's holy word in the Old Testament when it says they raised an altar or they um raised some something on high on a hilltop, they're talking about building a pagan temple or having a pagan altar. Well, they already have an altar and it's the altar of God. It's it's in the Jewish temple where the ark of the covenant is. So, why would you create all these other gods and pagan temples when you already have the one true God? You don't need any of these others because none of these others they can't help you at all because they have no power. They're powerless. So why worship something that is powerless when you could worship to the one who has all power, all authority? And every single one of these kings that worshiped other gods and built these quote-unquote high places which are um altars to to pagan gods, they never lived a long wonderful life. They always had problems. They got invaded, they got enslaved, they also were stricken with disease. Cuz God was very clear to them, if you're going to be a king over my people, you need to put me first. Because as a king or a queen, you have to show your people what is the proper way to behave. So these these kings and there was a queen in there. It's like you you have to set the standard for your people. And so what really disappointed me about some of the queens that we see in the Old Testament is that sometimes they would pull their husbands away from the one true faith and they would want to start practicing these other gods. Well, that's why God told them do not intermarry with these other people. Most of them are pagan and they will pull you away from me. Like these women may be beautiful, but they can pull you away from your true faith. And that's what happened with some of these kings. And God was very clear Do not worship anybody else, only worship me. Cuz that's all you need. And some of these pagan religions were very evil and very wicked. Some of them had uh child sacrifices, which is also a form of eugenics, which is where you try and control your population by getting rid of your children. So they practiced it even back then and what and what's sad is that these these were Jewish people practicing this. God was very angry about that. Like there's a reason why his punishment was sometimes harsher on the Jewish people that practiced paganism than people that were non-Jewish and practiced paganism because people that were part of God's holy family, they were part of the covenant of Abraham, they knew better. It's one thing if you don't know better, is it still wrong? Yes, but it's not as bad as someone that willingly turns their back on God and says I'm going to do what I want because I don't trust you to take care of me. That's that's what these kings were doing. Whenever it says they did not walk in the way of the Lord, 
they were inviting trouble into their life. So so just know that, you know, even angels worship Jesus. So we are supposed to worship Jesus and only him. We should not be putting anything in front of Jesus because it will separate us from him and from his love. And I say why do that? Life can be tough on its own anyway. I would think we would want things to get better, not worse. And that's I'll put it this way. Whenever you are falling out of a line or or, or you're 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 getting off track from following Christ, you're opening a Pandora's box to a whole bunch of problems that you that you may have never had before or you may be opening things up from your past. And I say, why bother doing that? Like it's such a waste of time and it's also a deterrent. It's also distracting you from getting to heaven. Because whatever problem you're having, really only God can help you with it. Does he expect you to take care of it? Yes, but he he expects you to go to him first. Not not to your your spouse, your parent, your friend, your employer, your lawyer, whatever. You need to go to God first. That doesn't mean these other people don't matter. They do matter. But the best wisdom we can get is from our heavenly Father. because he sees everything. He sees it he sees things from, you know, behind the scenes, things that we can't see. That's what makes our heavenly father supernatural is that he is beyond the natural. He is beyond nature. Even though he created nature, he's beyond it. So why worship what is what is supposed to be a gift to us and we're supposed to have dominion over it? Like I'm saying no when to have dominion over something and know when to serve God. Don't let something encourage you to serve it and deter you from your path to holiness. And your path to holiness that doesn't mean you have to become a priest or a nun or you know something so extreme. That's not what I'm talking about. Your path to holiness is loving Jesus, having him come into your heart, give your life to Christ. get baptized, be a part of a really good church and just do what God calls you to do because there is a calling on all of our lives. Like we all have something very individual and unique that we are all supposed to do. But if you fall off track and you just follow these deterrents, even though they may be subtle and sly like that stupid hippie song I heard at a church, I was one of the few people that got irritated by that song. I was like, I'm not singing that. It's garbage. Because whatever you sing is what you praise. It's what you worship. I'm not here to worship the planet. The planet belongs to me. Why? Because God gave us dominion over it all. And if all I'm doing is worshiping it, that I'm not taking care of it. Like our proper place is at the top of the food chain, not the bottom. Like it, it makes no sense to me what some of these people say and what they sing about when I'm just like if you read the Bible and if you only knew what that was really saying in that song, you would not be repeating that. And it would offend you. Like I was the only one in my row at least sitting there going, "What in the like I had to control myself from cursing cuz cursing's not appropriate." But it was so angering to me. I was like, 
We're having this at church service, a church service before our Heavenly Father. And so I thought, said in my mind, my heart, my soul, I said, Lord, I know this is wrong and I'm not going to sing it or say it. And I will talk to the preacher afterwards about this. Did no good, but that's not the point. We still need to stand up for stuff. Even if someone doesn't agree with us, it's important that we still let them know, hey, this is not right. We should be saying this or doing this because we're setting a bad example for children. Like if we are the adults, we need to act like the adults. And misguiding our children is not appropriate. And that's what songs like that do. Just because something sounds happy and go lucky, that doesn't mean that it's appropriate. And it doesn't mean that the lyrics are true. But going on with this one, it says, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Notice the word royal. When we believe in Christ Jesus and we, we have him come into our heart and be Lord of our life, we are grafted into his royal family. What does that mean? That means we are royal citizens of heaven. We have new citizenship. So, for example, if you're in the United States and you are a believer in Christ Jesus, guess what? You technically have two forms of citizenship. You are a citizen of the United States of America But you're also, and more importantly, a citizen of heaven. Don't throw that away. That's, that's like your visa. You know, that's like your passport to eternal salvation. And have joy in your heart and your soul every day of your life, regardless of what happens. That doesn't mean bad stuff won't happen or hardships won't happen, but they won't seem or feel as bad because you'll be so focused on the goodness of Christ that... I mean, literally, you will think, oh, the Lord can swap this like a fly. I'm not worried about it. And I've been there. Like the first time I got pleurisy, I was scared. I was so frightened I was going to die. And I really was close to death. The second time, I wasn't as worried at all. It still sucked. It was still horrible. But I knew, and you'll be on a shadow of a doubt, that I, that I would get through it. Now, my faith was still not where it needed to be like it is today. You know, I'm way stronger now than I was back then, but... You know, it's important to grow in our faith so that way we don't lose heart in tough situations. Because it's in those situations that we need to have heart. And we need to hold on to what we have, not lose it. And I love how it says, and crown him Lord of all. When we worship God, we are worshiping him and him alone. And he is crowned. He is our crowned king and savior, Lord of all. We should be worshiping no one else. Not the mountains, not the sea, not the valleys, not the wind, not the plants, you know, not these stupid cows. Like I'm thinking of, of a religion over in India where they worship cows because they claim they're sacred. I'm sorry, a cow is beef. A cow is an animal that God gave us to consume and also to get milk out of. Like animals were given to us as a gift. Like we don't worship the gift. We we worship the one who gave us the gift because he's our creator. Like I think it's so sad when other nations and countries and peoples when they worship animals. Animals don't even have souls and don't get me wrong, I love I love pets. Like I like I love cats. But I know that my cats, not a single one of them had a soul. And I do know that I have asked God 
that when I pass away that I that I get to see my my pets, my cats in heaven and he has told me yes. Because he knows how much I I love my my pets. But see here's the thing, they don't have souls. They don't get saved. Why? Because they can't repent. They they don't have that knowledge. We do. And and animals are not God's prized possession. We are. None of the animals on the face of this earth, none of them were ever created in the image of God. Only we were created in the image of God. So whenever people are worshiping animals, they are degrading themselves and the human race technically. Because they're putting animals above people. And they're claiming that, you know, whatever you worship is what you're saying has authority over you. Animals have no authority over us. We have dominion over them. Like they are subservient to us, we are not subservient to them. That's why it disappoints me whenever people start worshiping animals. That's very dangerous. And that's a very pagan lifestyle and it's it's a pagan form of worship. Like why would you worship something that can't save you and doesn't love you? There isn't a single animal on the face of this earth that can save you from the depths of hell. Only Jesus can. Only our heavenly Father can. Like don't throw away your salvation for some voodoo type of religion. Even if it feels good or you think it's good, feelings are not the be all and all. They're not. I'll give an example. Like you can drink alcohol and feel great. But then guess what? There's a tipping point to where if you could harm your liver and have blood alcohol levels that are very toxic and can kill you. Like just because you feel good being drunk, that doesn't mean you should be drunk and that's not something you should be striving for. So feelings are sometimes a lie. And we should be clinging to the truth, not to a lie. So let's go on to the second stanza, the second verse. It says, "O seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all." I love this. "O seed of Israel's chosen race, When we are believers in Christ Jesus, we are the seed of Israel and we are his chosen race. Why? Because the moment we give our life to Christ and we ask him to come into our heart and our soul, we are immediately adopted into his family and we are immediately grafted into that heritage, into that covenant. So we are family now. So now we are technically Israelites and Hebrews within the royal holy family, which is God's race, his chosen people. That's you and me when we are believers in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful thing that is. So the next time you see the star of David, just know that's your star too. I actually wear the star of David. I love it. It's the most beautiful necklace that I have. Like I've tried to wear other necklaces but I was like, you know, I really love the star of David. It's such a beautiful symbol of God's love for mankind and his love for me, his love for you, his love for his people, his chosen people. You were chosen for a day such as this. You are called by God to do great things. Don't throw away your destiny for a fad or some fake religion. 
Invest in God and he will invest in you. And you will be greatly rewarded on earth as it is in heaven because God wants you to be blessed down here on earth. He doesn't want you to be miserable or poor or broke or unhealthy. Not at all. He wants you to have everything. Because that's the love of our heavenly Father. Goes on to say, now ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace. So here we are. We've been saved. We we have been purchased for a price. That's what the ransom means. A ransom was paid for us by Jesus Christ. It was his blood that paid for us. Like the next time you you get a cut like on your finger or something like that, just think about how much blood Jesus bled on the crucifix, on the cross. How much of his blood was let out of his body for you and for me, for all mankind, for us to be saved so that we could go to heaven. He took our place. He took the judgment of us all. He he took all of it. He he bore everything. Our sins, our diseases, our mistakes, you know, our anger, our our willful stupidity, our hate, our impatience, our gluttony, our lust, our lying, all of it. Everything that is bad about us, about about this world. He bore our sins. He paid the ransom. He was the ransom. You know what that's like? I think there's a movie, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a movie where I think it's a girl or a child She gets kidnapped and someone from her family says let me take her place. Do to me what you want, but let me take her place. And the kidnappers allow it. And they murder her relative brutally. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, "She's my child. He's my child." They belong to me. Let me take their place. And he died for us. That's what Jesus did. He paid the ultimate price for you and for me. He ransomed himself for us. If that's not love, I don't know what is. Like Jesus basically pulled a mama bear. That's what I call it. Like I don't know if you've ever seen old yeller or if you've ever seen footage of where, you know, someone messes with a cub. and the mama bear comes out of the woods and just whoops up on whoever is messing with her baby cub that's what Jesus did that's what Jesus did and he whooped up on the devil and said no you can't have her you can't have him you cannot have the children of god take me instead and the devil is so stupid he thought He and his followers thought they had won. Oh, we we've got God's son. There's nothing he can do now. We've won. And when Jesus rose from the dead and was resurrected, they said if only we had known. That's how stupid they are, and they're still stupid because guess what? They're still trying to harm us and hurt us. But guess what? They have no authority over us. because Jesus said no you can't do that anymore 
Jesus has the victory. And he did it for you and for me. The next verse says, let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call, meaning we're supposed to speak about the goodness of God. We're supposed to praise him, like have everything that comes out of your mouth be a blessing. Like everything should be joyful. So it says, let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call. So we're supposed to respond to the call that God puts on our life. To him all majesty ascribe. Think about the word majesty. Again, we are in the royal family of Christ Jesus. Don't throw that away. You are not a pauper. You are not a peasant. Those are lies from the devil straight out of the depths of hell. You are not subservient to him. He is under your feet. Let him know, devil, you're under my feet. You're a jerk, you're a liar, you're a hater, you're a murderer. You have no place in my life. You have no place in my family. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, Nazarene. I rebuke you. Get out of here. And take your goons with you. They're horrible. They're hideous. They're ugly. And it says, to him all majesty ascribes. So again, we are in God's holy family. Claim it. It's named here. You need to claim it. You are a son and daughter within the royal family. And crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. The crown of Christ belongs only to, to Christ, to, to the Lord. It only belongs to him. But guess what? When we are grafted into his family, he gives us his crown. Because we are, his, we are God's sons and daughters. We are princes and princesses within his royal family. Now, when we sin, technically, we are worshiping the, the prince of death, the prince of darkness, which is Satan. And he's never going to give you a crown. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to steal your crown, your health, your livelihood, your family, your money, your house. He's a thief. He's a thief. God's not the one causing all these problems in this world. It's Satan. It's the devil. And for the longest time, I was like, really, the devil's doing that? And then it dawned on me, oh, yeah, he's doing that. If you read about how he operates in the Bible, how evil he is, because everything that God does is good and holy. So anything outside of good and holy comes from the evil one. And once I realized that, I was like, wait a second. I've been falling for all this crap, excuse my language, I've been falling for all this stuff for years, not really recognizing where all this is coming from. It just made me so mad. And I was like, man, how did I fall for this? I mean, I was just letting the devil beat me up, thinking that that was the normal way of life. No, no. Pull the rug out from under his feet and be like, get out of here, you creep. And rebuke him. You see, we, we Christians, we've been shamed and blamed so much to be quiet, to be these humble, little, quiet, little, subservient people. And it's like, no, we're supposed to be vocal. That doesn't mean be a yeller and a screamer. But, you know, sometimes we need to say, no, devil, you're not, you're not taking authority over any of this. So why don't you get out? You lost your authority over 2,000 years ago. Read it and weep. You know the holy word of God. Why don't you read it? That's what I would that's what I tell the devil. I'm like, I know you can quote scripture. 
Because I know you quote it to, to Jesus. Like, just tell the devil, hey, I know your game. And you're a jerk. Absolute jerk. He actually thought he could trick Jesus. How dumb is that? He thought he could tempt him into doing something that is not holy. That's how, what a moron he is. So just recognize that the devil is a moron. Like, let me, let me put it this way. Think of the, the dumbest person you've ever met in your life. Just the biggest moron, whatever word you want to use, but just think of the dumbest person you've ever met. That is nothing compared to how dumb the devil is. So don't be fearful of anything. The devil has no new tricks. He's basically mentally retarded, but on like an extreme level. He has no new tricks. And all he's trying to do is lie, steal, and kill. And he's very successful at it sometimes. And the way that he is successful at it is that he fools us into being cowardly. Oh, this disease is going to get me. Oh, I just lost my job. I'll probably lose everything. No, don't ever say that kind of stuff about yourself. Never, 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 never. Call on the name of Jesus. Just because the devil stole from you, that doesn't mean you can't get it back. If anything, the Bible is very clear about this. It says that whatever the devil stole from you, God will give it back to you a minimum of sevenfold. So we have nothing to worry about. And I'm living proof of that. The devil has tried to bump me off so many times, health-wise, job-wise, money-wise, house-wise, car-wise. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like sometimes I laugh about it. I'm just like, here we go again. He must be bored. Well, guess what? My Lord and my Savior is going to take care of this. And he's going to give him a swift kick in the you-know-what. Be like, man, I'm going to have to whoop you again. Leave her alone. Jesus always has your back. Here's the thing. As Christians, sometimes we think that we, we will never have to get in the boxing ring. That's not what it means to be a Christian. We're supposed to be in the boxing ring. Why? So we can duke it out. And we duke it out with spiritual weapons. Sometimes we do need to get our dukes up physically to defend somebody. But I'm saying a lot of the warfare that we do is spiritual. Get your spiritual weapons. Look them up. Like I did that because I was like, man, what weapons do I have? Like spiritual weapons. Like I did not understand how to fight at all. I just did not get it. So I went online and I looked up the armor of a Roman soldier. I was like, oh, so that's what a breastplate looks like? That's what the helmet of Christ looks like? Like, I really looked up what the weaponry looks like, just so I could have a visual. I'm a very visual learner. I was like, now I got it. Now I understand how to use the Holy Word of God. When I think about... The Holy Word of God, now I get that strong mental visual image of, a, of armor. And I'm armed with it. I love it. That's what it means to know who you are in Christ Jesus. Know that you can accomplish and do anything you put your mind to because God has your back. And Jesus loves you and he's defending you. That's what it means to have... The full armor of God and the full armor of Christ. 
and just get that mental image in your in your head in in your brain because sometimes the biggest battle is in our brain don't talk yourself out of courage don't talk yourself out of de, uh, out of determination don't talk yourself out of your victory you are worthy of a victory and guess what technically you already have the victory because Christ won it for you that's what he did when he became a ransom for you he won everything for you So don't throw it away. And don't let people deceive you. Don't let them say, "Oh, well, you know, you really don't deserve that or or you know, you you really shouldn't be making that kind of money." Be like, "Oh, yes, I should be making that kind of money and I'm going to double it." Throw it right back at them. Be like, "I do deserve it." "Oh, well, why do you need such a nice car? Why shouldn't I get a nice car? God gave it to me." You see, give God the praise and the glory. God is good. He's so good. He got me this car. God's so good. He got me this job. God is so good. He got me this new hairstyle. God is so good. He got me this amazing eyeliner and eyeshadow. I love it. God is so good. He got me this wonderful perfume. God is so good. He got me a wonderful tan. Whatever is important to you, whatever you love. You know, God is so good. He got me a new fishing pole. Now, no catfish has a chance against me. Like really like God will give you the, the the desires of your heart and then some. Like it's not just about it's not about material possessions. That's not what it's about. Like let me give you an example. Let's say you have kids and and you ask your children what do you want for Christmas and they give you this big old list. Oh, I want this, this and this. You know, how hurtful would it be if you told your children, "Well, you know, it's wrong to be materialistic, so we don't think you should get any of that." Wouldn't that be cruel and evil and hateful to do that to your children? It's like what was the point of asking them what they wanted for Christmas if you don't plan on getting them anything, if you're just going to shame and blame them and say, "Oh, you don't deserve that. You're just a sinner. You're just a worm, lower than dirt. You're garbage." Guess what? That's what Satan says. That's what the devil says. He wants us to think we're not worthy of anything. He wants us to think the only thing we're worthy of is to be treated like garbage. and that we should be poor, broke, unhealthy and miserable. Nowhere in the Bible does God say that's what he wants for us. He wants to pamper us. Give God a chance to bless you and to pamper you. And it took me a long time to understand that because I was raised in a really bad religion. It was a cult. And then it's like I trade one cult for another. I I switched to a different denomination and I was like once I realized my mistake, I was like I can't believe I trade one cult for another. <laughs> I felt like such an idiot. But I'm so glad that God woke me up because in both instances, both these cults that practice under the denominations of, you know, they're trying to be Christian and there are some Christians there, but the 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 doctrine and the and the theology are completely wrong. especially when compared to God's holy word it was like oh you should be okay with bad stuff happening to you um no i shouldn't oh you really shouldn't strive for more money you should just be poor um no i shouldn't be poor sometimes people don't want what's best for you because either a they don't want people to show them up or they want what you have or they think that you don't deserve it And that's a form of shaming and blaming. None of us are called to do that. And if ever you're around people like that, you need to get away from them because they are never going to want what is best for you. 
when everything that God wants for you is what is best for you and he loves to hear what you want. If you want a PlayStation, ask God for one, he'll get you one. If you want a Corvette, ask God for a Corvette. If you want an infusion, let's say, you know, you you need a, a special type of medicine, ask God for it. He'll he'll give it to you. He will he will find it for you. He knows where it is and he will find a great deal for you. Let's say for example you've been diagnosed with cancer and the only drug that you can take is this very expensive drug. Let's say it's like $100,000 a pill. Don't worry about it. God will get it for you. And you're probably thinking, "Leslie, what is wrong with you? It's $100,000 a pill." Yeah, I know. Big whoop. Say what? I said big whoop. God has streets of gold in heaven. That's just the streets. What makes you think he can't afford your your chemotherapy medicine or any kind of drug that you're on? Not only can he afford it, he can heal you of that. Give him a chance to bless you. Like I'm not saying go off your meds, not by any means, not by any means because God gives us medicine. See what I would do if I was in a situation like that I would pray for healing and I would know that I have been healed even if I don't see it yet even if the test results don't say it yet I'm going with I'm healed but I will stay on my medicine until I can be taken off of it until I see my healing come to complete manifestation because I'm going to walk by faith not by sight See if I walk by sight I'm always focused on the negative We are not called to be negative. We are called to be positive. We are called to be blessed. We we are called to be so much more than ourselves. And what I mean by that is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So if Christ be in me, who dare be against me? If Christ be for me, who dare be against me? Meaning we can handle all of this because God can handle it. He put Jesus in our corner. He he you know, he's boxing with us and for us. He he's got us. He you know God has us in the palm of his hand. What are we worried about? I kid you not, I was so sick and tired of worry, anxiety, doubt, fear, like my blood pressure would go up so high and I normally don't have bad blood pressure. But I tell you what, stress can kill. I was so stressed out one night, I almost went to the emergency room. Because I was going through some really serious stuff and I just took authority over it and I said, "No." I am not going to the emergency room. I'm taking authority over this situation. I am not going to be stressed anymore. Devil, get out of my life. Get out of my head. Stop sending these negative messages to my brain. I believe in Christ Jesus wholeheartedly. And so I just started reading my Bible right there in bed. And I fell asleep with my Bible on my chest. And sometimes I fall asleep with my Bible right by my head so much so that it's almost like my Bible becomes my pillow. Do you know that Satan hates that? He hates it when you cling to the holy word of God because he knows the holy word of God defeated him over 2000 years ago. He knows he's a failure because Jesus gave us the victory because he is our victor. He he is our our, our victorious lord and captain and he's our savior. Give God a chance to save you because he wants to bless you. Okay, the fourth stanza or the fourth verse. This is the last one. Says, "Oh, that with all the sacred throng we at his feet may fall, 
Sometimes we need to know how to worship. That doesn't mean grovel, but I think sometimes we do need to kneel when we pray. I think sometimes we we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Cuz it reminds me of um I'm trying to think I think it's in the New Testament, I could be wrong, but there's there's a passage where there are these two people, these two guys praying in the temple. One of them's like a Pharisee or a Sadducee or somebody and the other one's like a tax collector. I'm pretty sure this is in the New Testament. And the Pharisee or Sadducee that the holier than thou person says, "Oh Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like this evil tax collector. Oh, I live such a good life. I'm so glad I'm not like this guy." The tax collector who's at the very back of the temple, too scared to look up to God. He loves God. He wants God in his heart and he says something to the effect of God forgive me I I love you God forgive me for everything help me That's being humble not oh I'm better than you my prayers are better than you I know how to worship you don't It's better for us to to worship and to praise God like the tax collector than the Pharisee or the Sadducee or the know-it-all, the holier than thou individual. That doesn't mean that we're always in in a fearful state or that we're always sad about our life. That's not what that means. When we pray like the tax collector, it means we know that we're a sinner and we know that we need God. We know that we need Jesus. And when we when we know that, we acknowledge that. We're giving God a chance to lift us up out of the pit, so then we don't have to be sad anymore. We don't have to hang our head in shame anymore, because shame and condemnation have no place in Christ Jesus. Absolutely no place at all. So it goes on to say, "We'll join the everlasting song and crown Him Lord of all." So basically, that tells me we're supposed to sing with other believers. We're supposed to be worshiping with other Christ followers. This is not a lonely journey. It's supposed to be filled. with wonderful companionship, friendship, fellowship, stewardship, all those wonderful things. We are not supposed to be alone in this journey. So if you are at a church and you feel alone and you don't feel comfortable there, you need to find a church where you do feel like you belong and where you can make really good friends and lifelong friends. Lifelong friendships. Lifelong fellowship. Cuz God never called us to do this alone. He wants us to be there for other believers in Christ Jesus. Because the, the the more we get more believers to come to Christ, the the brighter the light of Christ will shine in this world because we are the light of Christ. That's how important we are to Jesus. So we'll join the everlasting song, so go to worship and sing your heart out. I think it's great. And crown him Lord of all. Again, our Lord has a crown on his head. and he loves us dearly and he is worthy of that praise and honor. Again, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him lord of all. You know what's interesting about the lord and his crown? He doesn't look down on us. He doesn't say, "Oh, I'm lord, you're going to worship me, you're going to kiss my feet and then we'll see what happens." Never, never, never does God talk to us like that. Never does Jesus talk to us like that. Never, never, never. You know what he does? He bends down extends his hand to us while we're down on the ground feeling bad about ourselves and he picks us up and says I love you my dear child 
Stand before me. I love you. You were not made for the ditch. You 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 were made to come up here with me. Sit at my table. You're always welcome here. That is the love of Jesus Christ. That is who we are called to be. His sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. Seated with him in royal places because we are royal sons and daughters. That's where we are supposed to be seated. And if anyone tells you differently, they're lying to you. They may not realize they're lying. And a lot of them don't. They truly believe that we're just all supposed to be peasants. And I'm like, "Well, you know, they've already been there, done that in the USSR and the Soviet Union. And guess what? A lot of people died. Millions of people died from starvation." And it's because of communism. So, and fascism as well. But I would think that it would be obvious that we're supposed to think good and kind things about ourselves not bad things because i kid you not if ever you go see a counselor they're they're going to do a mental evaluation of you and also an emotional evaluation of you uh, of your brain and and of how you view yourself and typically depressed people think horrible about themselves I'm not worth anything. Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I can't do anything right. I'm lower than dirt. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like how some of these wrongfully led Christians think. Well, how are you supposed to have a positive good life if you think so horrible about yourself? We need to think about ourselves the way that God thinks about us. Because that's how he wants us to see ourselves. It's how he sees us. in his holy beautiful royal family we are not slaves to this world so we shouldn't be acting like slaves when you think lowly of yourself you are enslaving yourself don't do that you have been freed by the blood of the lamb know your freedom cherish your freedom value your freedom and just walk in the goodness of God. I think sometimes we get bogged down with doctrine, theology, the do's and don'ts, these rules, laws and regulations supposedly within Christianity, all these things. God just wants us to be happy. That's it really is that simple. And the simplest way to get happiness is to believe in his son Jesus Christ. Invite Jesus into your heart. Don't shut him out. Let him in. It's such a beautiful thing to be loved by God. I can think about so many times in my life where I didn't feel loved and I hated it. It was just the worst feeling. It just was so lonely. And and I remember feeling so lonely, but at the same time, I knew God was there and he loved me. It's just I felt distant from him, but I knew that I was still on his mind. He never forgot about me. If anything, whenever I am in agony, sorrow, pain, or misery, or heartache, it really gets his attention. You are really on God's mind because he knows and feels your suffering. So don't push God away, let him in. Let him love you. 
Let him embrace you. Let him help you. Let him help you with everything. It's like how I mentioned in, an, in another episode, a previous episode. Whenever I've got a bunch of junk going on in my life, I'm just like, I'm, you know, how do I word this? I think as Americans and as people, we try and figure thing, we try and figure everything out on our own. Let me get a drink real quick. We try and figure everything out on our own. Did you know that by law we're not supposed to do that by God's law? We're not supposed to figure it all out. That's not our job. Our job, technically, by God's law, is to go to Him with everything, and then He will guide us in the right direction. It is so much easier to get His help than to try and take on every burden of this planet when that's not our job. We're not supposed to take on burdens like that. It's our bodies can't handle it, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, or financial. That that's God's job to take on all that. That doesn't mean we don't ever do any good in this world. That's not what that means. But just know that if you've got some heavy stuff going on, what I do, I've mentioned this before. I make a list of everything that I that I don't like that's going on in my life, or every person that's hurt me, or every situation that hurt me, or things that I don't like, or things that have been painful, um, things that are frustrating or irritating. It doesn't matter if it's a person, place, or thing, or a situation, or a memory. Or maybe something is about to happen. I'm nervous about a job, or maybe I'm nervous about a business meeting, or maybe I'm nervous about going on a date. Whatever the case may be, I make a list of everything, and I pray about it. I read out, and this is between me and God. So when you're doing this, this is not between you and everybody else. This is between you and God. It's that one-on-one relationship. You take it up in prayer, read it out loud. If you have that ability to do that, meaning that. That you have that privacy to do that, because this is not anybody's business. It's just between you and God. Read it out loud. Ask God what to do, and let Him guide you. Let Him speak to your heart, and He will speak to you. And you know what? I think it's fun to do it now. Initially, I was really scared because it was like I was having to admit that I've got problems. Of course, we've got problems. But guess what? Problems become future solutions. And then we know how to help others that have those same issues. So don't be scared to admit you you have a problem. It doesn't mean you're a failure. If anything, admitting to God that you have a problem and you need His help is the first step in wisdom. And He will greatly reward you and comfort you for that, because He knows that you may or may not know what to do, and that you're scared, and that. You know, maybe you're ashamed of something, or maybe you're ashamed that you don't know what to do, and, and you feel like, man, I thought I'd have it all figured out by now. We never will, so don't worry about it. It's not our job to have everything figured out. So I read out loud the first item. I ask God, "Hey, what do you want me to do with this? Guide me." And I get quiet. I literally shut my mouth, and I let Him speak to me. And then I write down whatever He speaks to my heart, and I just keep going down the list. And then you know what? Once I'm Done with my list. I feel so much better. In fact, I feel so much better after each and every item gets addressed. And I know that when I go to God with it, I am never shamed. I am never condemned. I am never blamed. He helps me with everything. That's the love of God, and that's the power of Jesus's name. So don't don't throw that don't throw that away. 
Jesus is always there for you. And he wants to help you in every area of your life. It doesn't matter what it is. No one is too far gone for Jesus to love and save and to bring back home to his holy family. Nothing is ever completely lost. And I look at it this way. It's not over till God says it's over and even then he makes exceptions to the rule every day. You might be that one exception. So talk to him about it. If there's something going on, talk to God about it. Lift it up in prayer. While you're driving to work, while you're going to lunch, while you're eating lunch in your car, while you're driving home, you know, maybe you need to pray while you're in the bathroom. I've done that at work. Like I'll be going to the bathroom and I'll just be praying in my head, Lord, help me with this meeting I'm about to go into because some of these people are not very kind and they're not trustworthy. Some of them are liars. And you know, it's a quick, simple, easy prayer. And God always speaks to me. I think sometimes we 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 feel ashamed. And it's like, you know what? God knew I was going to the bathroom, but he doesn't care. He knows that something's on my heart, it's bothering me, and I took the time even while I'm in the bathroom just mentally in my heart talk to him and guess what he spoke to me. So then when I got done using the bathroom, washed my hands, I'm walking out, I have way more confidence walking out that bathroom than when I walked in. Don't be ashamed of the naturalness of being human. Of like your bodily functions or things like that. Like what you know, I'll give you an example. One time I got a really bad stomach bug and I kept getting it because people kept getting me sick. It was going around really bad here in Oklahoma several years ago. It made me so mad. So I stopped going out to eat because of it because people weren't staying home when they were sick and they weren't washing their hands after they're going to the bathroom. So I'm just horribly vomiting and feeling so sick. Like I actually collapsed and uh, almost died. Um And you know, while I was throwing up, I don't mean to be gross, but while I was throwing up, I was praying. I couldn't speak, obviously, because I was throwing up in my heart and my soul, my mind. I was praying so, so vividly, so loudly from within, and I knew God heard my prayer. And I got so dehydrated, I collapsed on my bed, and I actually felt my heart stop. And it was a horrible, weird feeling. I didn't like it. It was horrible. Like I knew that something had happened. Like I know that if you throw up enough, you can cause a, an electrolyte imbalance in your body. Well, your heart needs electricity in order to pump blood. So an example of this is Karen Carpenter, who had anorexia bulimia. She made herself throw up so much that she died from a heart attack at home. She did this for years, starving herself. And finally her heart gave out. I think she was either 32 or 35. She was really young. Beautiful young woman, very talented. If you've never heard of her music, you need to look up the Carpenters. Beautiful angelic voice, just wonderful. But here's the thing. She had an electrolyte imbalance. And she died from it. Well, I'm laying there. I collapsed on my bed actually. And I knew what had happened and I felt my heart stop and I just started praying even though I felt something bad happen. I started praying. 
and I felt my heart start again. And the next thing I know it's it's the next day. And I was completely healed. And you know, I I don't know what you know about getting that violently ill, but I got so sick my skin um before I collapsed my skin was becoming thin as paper. Like I'd lost almost a lot of water. I was going to say all water, but that obviously would not be true, but I lost a lot of hydration. And um it is almost like my face was sinking in in different parts. Because I got really sick multiple times over several weeks because I kept getting sick, and so when I collapsed, I felt my heart stop. I prayed, my heart started up again. I passed out, or I conked out. I don't know what the right word is. I wake up the next morning. I'm laying flat on my back in my bed in a peaceful manner. I wake up and I'm completely restored and made brand new physically. Like my skin has its color back. It's not paper thin anymore. Um my face has filled in. Like I I'm not looking I don't know what the right word is daunting. I don't know what's the right word. Sallow, whatever that word is where you just look really unhealthy in your face. Almost like a cancer patient or something or or like an HIV AIDS person like when they're about to die. And that's what I looked like because I got so sick. Even though I don't have any of that, that's what I looked like. But when I woke up, I looked completely normal. If anything, I looked better than ever. My my face was healthy. All my skin looked healthy. I had a bright glow. I didn't have that horrible vomit taste in my mouth. Um my teeth felt clean. It's like someone had brushed my teeth. Um my clothes weren't swelly or sorry sweaty or smelly like they were. I my hair was fixed. Um it I was just made brand new. I don't know how how else to describe it, but that happened to me. And all because I prayed. Even when I was dying or dead or whatever happened, I don't know. I I cannot explain exactly what happened probably to its fullest extent, but all I know is that I felt my heart stop. I prayed because I was still there in the room. Spiritually, I was still there. My heart started back up and then I passed out or conked out and I woke up feeling great and amazing. And it it, it I looked like I had never been ill. That's the power of Jesus's name. You are made brand new, sometimes physically brand new. I think people forget that. God can physically make you brand new. He can heal your body and he did it for me. And guess what? I haven't been sick with a stomach bug for years since then. Other people have gotten sick, I haven't. I mean, I take really good care of myself and I don't eat out like I used to even, you know, during or post COVID. But I you know I just know from experience that my life completely changed in that moment. Like I've had multiple encounters with Jesus. See, that's how we need to look at hardships, trials and and difficult times. It's an opportunity to encounter Christ. That doesn't mean he orchestrated it or that he started it because he did not. But he's there for us and he's there with us. He wants to comfort you, bless you and heal you and he did that for me. 
And again, since then, I have not been sick like that. And this has been several years. And you know what? When I got up and I started getting ready for the day, and I went about you know, my routine and went to work, saw people that I knew, they couldn't even tell I had ever been sick. I didn't even bring it up. They knew I had been sick. But, but they're like, hey, Leslie, you look great. How are you doing? Even though the night before... I had had a traumatic experience with being that ill. I said, oh, I'm doing great. I feel wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. Like, I didn't bring up the problem because guess what? There was no more problem. Because in Christ Jesus, we don't have a problem because God took care of it. Even if we haven't seen it come to pass just yet, the problem has already been addressed. That's why we should never be scared to take our problems, our issues, our failures, our situations, our fears, our concerns, our addictions, you know, our substance abuse, whatever it is. We should never feel like we can't go to God with that because we should go to him with everything and anything and immediately. See, at that time, I didn't know that God could heal me from a stomach bug. I thought it was just something that happened to you, but I, I kept getting sick over and over and over again. And so that's when I really started lifting up some prayers. It's what I call my big kahuna prayers. Like these are like mega prayers. Like I, you know, I've got my little prayers like, you know, yes, Lord, you know, please bless me on this or that kind of thing. And now I don't say little prayers like that anymore because I think it's, it's, it's um, I don't want to say disgraceful, but I think it's like, oh, I know God's there. Yeah, yeah, he'll handle it. Yeah, thank you, God. I think that kind of attitude really hinders people and it can actually harm you in your faith. Because you're not giving God the chance to do the impossible, to make the impossible possible. So now whenever I pray, they are almost always, they are almost always big kahuna impossible prayer requests. Because I know that with God, all things are possible. And so I, I know in that moment, I lift up a prayer. I was like, I refuse to believe that my heart is going to stay stopped. Start pumping. I am not going to die. I refuse. Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. I have so much to live for and so much to do. This cannot be the end. I refuse. I know that you love me. Like I was, I was talking to him like you wouldn't believe in my heart and my soul. And I want to say this in closing. Just because someone is in a coma, that doesn't mean they're not there. And that they can't hear and that they're not praying from the inside. Just because someone looks like they're brain dead doesn't mean they're spiritually dead. There is still a human soul inside that body that wants to live, breathe, and have a beautiful, wonderful life. Because I think about, you know, what if I had been in a room with people that believe in eugenics or that freak out about every little thing and don't believe in the goodness of God and they don't think that God can raise people from the dead and they just go, oh, oh, she died. I guess we should just call the funeral parlor people. There's no point in calling 911. Can you imagine being around that kind of disbelief? I'd rather be alone than be around disbelief. But guess what? I was alone in my room. Thank goodness. I was not around bad people. I was alone in my room in terms of like people but spiritually and and beyond the natural i was in the presence of jesus christ
and the Holy Spirit and technically my guardian angel was there. That's a minimum of 3 individuals in that room with me. Even though it felt like my heart had stopped and my chest wasn't moving, I could tell. But I was still in the room. Don't give up on people just because things look dead doesn't mean that they are. Don't give up on them. Sometimes sometimes we give up way too quickly. And it's in those stressful, horrific moments and traumatic moments that we've got to stand firm even if you're lying flat on your back like I was, even if you are not looking good at all. Even if you look like you're down and out in the boxing ring, guess what? Jesus comes in and and just beats the tar out of the devil and be like, "You know what? You had no right to do that to her. Not only am I going to beat you in the ring, I'm going to beat you outside the ring because of what you did to her." I think that's why I was so rewarded with health after that. The Lord restored my health above and beyond what I had. Like before I got sick, I was kind of eh in terms of health. I was kind of like eh. My health wasn't the best, but after that moment, after that event, I've been having great health since then. I've had some hiccups every now and then, but immediately after that event, I had great health. Like you couldn't even tell I had been sick and horribly sick. See, that's the power of Jesus' name. And that's why I love this song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Like I just love it. Like whenever I hear it, I'm just like, "Oh, I start singing it. I just love it." It's like, "All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all." You know, even though I'm not a professional singer per se, I'm going to sing that like I am a professional singer. I'm going to be like I'm going to serve my Lord no matter what I sound like. Like my voice may feel a little weak, but you know what? I am strong in Christ Jesus. It's like, you know, I've been through worse than this. I can get through it. See, that's the great thing about when you survive something traumatic, horrific or really difficult. is that then when all this little piddly stuff comes up you're like oh that's easy i got this i mean still lift up in prayer and be like thank you jesus we we can do this i love it thank you lord it's kind of like you have some experience on your belt it's sad that sometimes we have experiences that we hate and can't stand but there's so many things that that we we don't fear anymore it's almost like when you're riding a bike like as a little kid when your parents are training you to ride your bike You have training wheels on, right? I remember it was so scary to me when my parents removed the training wheels. I thought I was going to crash and die. I really thought it was like it's like a do or die moment to a little kid, right? Cuz we're so black and white and extreme. I was so terrified of riding my bike without my parents there to hold my my handlebars and I was terrified when they took off the training wheels, but guess what? It wasn't very long that I learned how to keep my balance. And then you know what? I became one of the best bike riders within like my group of friends. 
Like I love to go biking in the mountains, but here's the thing. If I had if I'd never went out on that branch, you know, off on the edge so to speak, go out into the deep as they say and take a chance and realize I do have what it takes to get through this. Sometimes we have to learn things on our own, but God is always there for us. He, he, you know, sometimes God removes the training wheels, but he still has a hold on the handlebars. Sometimes he let go of the handlebars, but he's still right there with you. He never left you. It's just he knows you're growing in your faith. He knows he knows you're growing in your health, your finances, so he doesn't need to baby you anymore. He knows he doesn't need to give you baby food. You know, you've graduated to solid food. Now you've graduated to steaks. Now you've graduated to cotton candy. Now you've graduated to funnel cakes. Like it's baby steps. But God is going to be there for you every step of the way. Like it doesn't do any good to stay in baby mode where you're just eating baby food all the time. When when we are supposed to be mature adults and we are supposed to mature and grow in our faith. It's the same thing here. And the way that we grow and mature in our faith is call on the name of Jesus and realize who we are in Christ Jesus. It's just like this second verse. I think it's O seed of Israel's chosen race now ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. When you know you are the seed of Israel's chosen race, what are we worried about? Nothing. Nothing. I love it. I don't worry hardly about anything like I used to. I mean, sometimes I feel a little twinge of worry. I'm like, "Nope, I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all." I rebuke it. And I just say in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazarene, I rebuke that thought. I control my thoughts. I control my brain. I control my heart, my soul because I've given it to Christ Jesus. That is one of the most beautiful freeing feelings I have ever felt in my life. You know what it's like? I love to run. I ran cross country when I was in high school and I'm training for a marathon right now. And what I love about running is you feel so free when you're outside running. Don't get me wrong, I love running on a treadmill too, but I love running outside. It's just so freeing. That's what it's like when you know that you are the seed of Israel's chosen race because you are in God's family and within that family, yes, you're supposed to live a holy Christian life, but there's so much freedom within that. Because when you are how do I word this when you know that you are the seed of Israel's chosen race you're in God's family and you're living a good holy life you are you are free from the burdens of this world and whatever tries to burden you cast that care over to the Lord it literally can't stick to you Like the devil would like you to think that he has super glued some things to you, but guess what? The Lord's like, nope, nope. My children are anointed with the holy oil of my Father, so all this bad stuff just slips right off of you. Literally, next time you're cooking, like with olive oil or something on your stove, and maybe you're you're you know stir frying some fajita meat or something, 
think about all the bad stuff that's going on in your life and it's not sticking to the pan. Meaning it can't stick to you. Because Christ saved you. He loves you. He anointed you with his holy oil of his love for you. So nothing should harm you. Nothing should upset you. If something does happen, don't worry about it. Cast your care onto the Lord. Don't let it stick to you. Don't don't let your life get mucky. You know what I mean? It's almost like when you when you have wellies on like those rain boots and you're and you're walking through like a puddle and then sometimes you step in one that's really sticky. I, you know, we call it mucky. Don't think for a single stack, don't think for a single second that that it's normal for your life to be mucky when God doesn't want that for you at all. He he wants your life and your and your and your load to be easy. Easy and light. That's what it should be. That's what we should strive for. And that's what we should believe for because it technically is the truth. It's the truth of our holy father. And we get that from his holy written word from the Holy Bible. But I will go ahead and end this podcast, but if you are not familiar with this song, do Google All Hail the Power of Jesus name and I'm looking at I think it's Hymnary H Y M as in Matthew and as in Nancy A R Y .org. I love this website. They have all these songs on here, especially Christian songs, and they give the lyrics. And if you want to listen to it, you can. But I love the lyrics and I love that it it says who who wrote these songs. And what I notice is that a lot of the songs that I love and that really speak to my heart, a lot of them when they're old school, they're written in like the 1600s or 1700s. And they're usually from Europe. Wonderfully, beautifully just written wonderful songs. Just really neat. And plus I grew up on some of these songs. So that's probably why I love them so much is because even though I knew I was being raised in a cult, as a little girl there were songs that we would sing that be like you know I know I may not be in the right religion right now but I know that I love this song and because I love this song I know that God loves me that's how I thought as a little child as a little girl and it got me through those tough years and it really helped me but until next time I pray that you're happy healthy and whole that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week thank you so much god bless bye bye
world go down without a 